Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Protection against discrimination based on things like race, sex, and religion might seem standard to most Michiganders. But in the 60s and 70s, the state had only just opened a department to investigate that prejudice. To some, the idea was radical. Is that why the first-ever director of the Michigan Department of Civil Rights was gunned down in a Detroit parking garage? This is Michigan Crime Stories. Michigan Crime Stories is a podcast that explores murder, mysteries, and mayhem in the Mitten State. Criminal behavior has always enthralled us. It's when society's determined what is and isn't allowed. We assume heinous crimes are committed by monsters, individuals we dehumanize in an effort to make sense of their deeds. Their victims sometimes seem distant, just faded names in a passing headline. But the terrifying truth is that crimes are committed by ordinary people, just like you and me. And many of those crimes happen in our own backyard. My name is Gus Burns. My name is Darcy Moran. We're reporters for MLive.com and your host for Michigan Crime Stories. This episode, as told by MLive political reporter Emily Lawler, is titled The Unconfirmed Assassin. The year was 1970, and Burton Gordon was director of the Michigan Department of Civil Rights. A former Army captain, news reporter, and social worker with a background in civil rights work, Gordon moved to Michigan from Philadelphia to become the first director of the department, established just a few years earlier to investigate allegations of discrimination. Bruce Miller, a Detroit-area attorney, remembers him as a good friend and neighbor. Their families lived on Chateaufort Place in Detroit. He was a very straight-up guy very bright. I think he was an excellent administrator, and he was a very nice guy, a very decent guy, very likable guy in my opinion. It was an era where tensions were boiling over. In the late 1960s, black Michiganders were moving into white neighborhoods and the integration sometimes set off violence. The department was on the ground during the 1967 Detroit riot and much of its early work focused on preventing racial violence in other cities. Here's Wanda Saxon, a secretary who started at the Michigan Department of Civil Rights in 1968. And at that time, then you had all the riots going on in Detroit, and uh, our office in Jackson had windows shot out. So it was a concern of my parents, you know, I was just out of high school, 18 years old, but I stayed there. In that atmosphere, Saxon said, Gordon was focused on justice. He was out for people's right to be treated fairly and made sure everybody working in the office was on the same page. But on March 20, 1970, Gordon's work would come to a sudden end. 
he was found murdered in a parking garage near his office, just three blocks from the Detroit police headquarters, near what's now the city's Greektown area. Arthur Horwitz, a past co-chairman of the Michigan Civil Rights Commission and editor and publisher of the Detroit Jewish News, dove deep into the case for a 2013 story on the murder. Here's how he describes what happened. He went to his car, he went in, uh, something happened, uh, he was shot, and uh, was, was basically left uh, to die uh, on, the, on the ground of the parking structure. And maybe about 90 minutes later had been found by a fellow employee. And um, it, it was the big news back then, front page. Uh, Governor uh, Milliken was, was shocked. The NAACP called it a political assassination until it's proven otherwise. Um, it, was, it was quite a big deal. According to news reports at the time, Gordon was found next to his car, a 1969 Ford. The car's engine was running. There were gunshot wounds to his chest and back. He was wearing a top coat along with a hat, which was found under the car. Immediately, the murder of a prominent figure grabbed headlines and the state's attention. Despite the possibility of political motivations, police theorized it was a robbery gone wrong. But people who worked at the department didn't believe that, Saxon said. The news spread quickly as the tight-knit department called one another in shock. They clung to one key fact. Nothing was taken from Gordon. His wallet was found intact with his body. Because like I said, it didn't look like a robbery. It was like set out to be uh, him and him alone to be killed. And so other people were wondering just what was going to happen to anybody else who was working in the civil rights field. Saxon said at the time, the department was investigating a lot of alleged discrimination within police departments. She wondered if law enforcement or another group the department had investigated could have been involved. But Gordon's family and friends were looking elsewhere, suspecting a disgruntled employee within the Michigan Department of Civil Rights. At the time, Miller, the family friend, said it didn't seem like the police took the family's hunch seriously. We thought it was somebody who worked in the agency and who objected to Bert's point of view and method of administering the agency. That's what we thought. That was never proven. No law enforcement agreed with us, but that was our theory. That was the family's theory. The department Gordon ran was heavily focused on racial integration, but Horwitz reported some people in the civil rights field wanted to move in a different direction, toward a black nationalist agenda, and still others were disgruntled over things like not receiving raises. At the time, the unsolved murder nagged at local law enforcement. The state police put detectives on the case to no effect. In a 1974 article in the Detroit Free Press, a retiring Detroit detective brought up the case as one of the most frustrating he'd ever worked. That one I wanted bad, he told the paper. In 2013, the Michigan Department of Civil Rights director persuaded the Detroit police to dust off the old file. 
According to a spokesperson for the Department of Civil Rights, the file had a person of interest, also a department employee, although it's not clear if it was the same person the family suspected. Realizing the case had once again run cold, Horwitz and the Civil Rights Commission passed a resolution in 2013, memorializing Gordon during the year of the department's 50th anniversary. It acknowledged his legacy and the mystery surrounding his death. Quote, we may never know who killed Burton Gordon and why. While we may have to accept that the important historical questions of his death will forever be unanswered, we must not allow ourselves to forget the life of Director Gordon, the resolution read. Horwitz said the resolution was important because it recognized the leader who laid the foundation for the civil rights protections Michiganders enjoy today. Uh, you know, we, we had the, you know, Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act was passed in the 70s. Well, it, you know, it's, it's a wonderful piece of legislation that still needs some, uh, some expansion, that's for sure. But at the same time, you know, would you have had an Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act or an act written the way it was if you didn't have a Burton Gordon come before that and help to lay the groundwork for that? The commission's recognition of Gordon's legacy brought some small amount of closure, or at least acknowledged, the mystery surrounding an important leader's death. Still, Horwitz would like to see the slaying solved. So, to me, my guess is today, in 2018, perhaps the last hope is if there's somebody who was on the staff of the Department of Civil Rights then, who, for whatever reasons, saw something, maybe hasn't uh, been in a position or felt the, uh, the, um, the urgency or need or desire to share it, who maybe has one more thread that can be followed that maybe gets this solved. Because otherwise, you know, Burton Gordon, uh, you know, as, as his son, when I had talked to his son, had said, they, I don't want my father to be a footnote in history when it comes to civil rights or civil rights in the state of Michigan, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to find a way for that not to happen. Hi everyone, this is Darcy Moran sitting here with Gus Burns from Michigan Crime Stories, and we are with Emily Lawler, who reported this story today. Emily, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So first and foremost, the first question I had was, how did you come across this story? A few years ago, I think it actually came to my attention. Um, I covered the administration for a while. One of the boards that I covered was the uh, Civil Rights Commission, and they kind of took a lot of initiative around this and uh, around honoring Burton Gordon's uh, life and contributions, early contributions to the department. So that's kind of when I um, got interested in this issue. And then, of course, it's just a, a very intriguing, I guess, mis mystery in uh, Michigan's political history. Uh, one thing I was curious about, since you work in Lansing, what does the Civil Rights Commission do exactly, and what, how has it changed since the time of his death? Yeah, so the commission is an entity of the Michigan Department of Civil Rights, and uh, if you've heard of the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act in Michigan, that uh, gives protections to people based on things like race, gender, um, I think weight. Um, there's a number of factors that are that are lined out in the law. They uh, 
investigate complaints. So if you think that uh, your civil rights have been or your housing rights perhaps have been infringed on in some way, they have a complaint process, a formal complaint process that you go through at the commission, and they can make determinations as to, to who's violated the those policies and who hasn't. So they end up kind of enforcing fair housing laws, civil rights law. So that kind of goes to my question about the department as it is now versus what it was like then. And that's something you noted in your story, um, that it was kind of facing this crossroads of what it was going to be exactly. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and a little bit about the the drama surrounding which way uh, Gordon was taking it. Yeah, so uh, the department back then did not have yet the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act to kind of guide its work. So I, I believe it was created actually when we redid our constitution in 1963. So it was a very young department, I guess, kind of finding its way. But, uh, you know, it was kind of at the forefront of of civil rights work in Michigan in that era, in the late 60s and early 70s. And, you know, they were still kind of defining their own role, I think, but obviously playing an active role in things like the Detroit riots and, and going to other cities trying to prevent that kind of violence from spreading while protecting civil rights. And so, you know, it was kind of the the precursor to the kind of uh, civil rights uh, work that goes on in the state today. I mean, you know, the, the frontier then was obviously race. Right now, there are still arguments about whether the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act should uh, include LGBT Michiganders, for instance. So one thing that, that kind of triggers in my mind, and I think was interesting in your story, is this idea of um, the possible direction of black nationalism within that department. And I'm curious if you've got any more information on that. Not not particularly. I mean, I think it was a, a young department at the time. I think that there were a lot of different uh, directions that civil rights was going in nationally and that the state was kind of a, a microcosm of that. From what I read, there was a conflict between people who wanted integration and segregation. There was a push for the Black Power Movement and the Black Panthers had come on the scene. And then from the government standpoint, they were trying to push for integration, which not everybody was on board with. And so was that ever looked at as possible? I mean, obviously, that was considered a possible issue for a disgruntled coworker. But was that ever looked at largely as possibly involved in the death, those those issues and the high contentions there? I think that uh, some of those questions, obviously, it sounds like um, from what we heard from Mr. Miller, who was friends with the family, that the family really didn't feel like the investigation was answering their questions at that time. I imagine that was among their questions, especially if they thought that uh, potentially it could be related to his work at the department. You know, I think that people do deserve answers on, on what happened here and where it was on that spectrum from random robbery to political assassination. We don't know what happened. Just stepping back briefly, it's interesting this case overall, as you noted, involves someone who had a huge impact on civil rights in Michigan. I'm curious if there's like a lasting legacy here within the department and within Michigan for Burton Gordon. Yeah, I mean, I would say that he he kind of set the the course for the department at the time and helped uh, establish it and obviously it, it evolved into what it is today. But, you know, maybe the part of the lesson here is that civil rights work is constantly evolving, that there's always something new um, or, or a fight to be fighting, frankly. I think that, you know, people who are fighting for civil rights today, maybe around something like LGBT rights, which aren't included in our Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act right now, you know, could definitely draw some parallels between 
what they're experiencing and uh, what other groups who have fought for representation, inclusion, and, and rights are uh, experienced uh, in, in our history. And I, I guess a reminder that civil rights work has not come without, without struggle here in Michigan. Well, I think that's going to do it for me. Thank you, Emily, so much for telling this story and for sitting with us today. My name is Darcy Moran. I'm Gus Burns. And this is Michigan Crime Stories. Thanks to Bruce Miller, Arthur Horwitz, and Wanda Saxon for speaking with us. And thanks to the Michigan Department of Civil Rights for its help with this episode. Also, thank you to you for listening. If you have crime stories you want to know more about, give me a shout at dmoran at mlive.com. That's D-M-O-R-A-N at mlive.com. I'm Darcy Moran, and this is Michigan Crime Stories.